Welcome back to the Preacher's Podcast. We are at Proper 8, the Sunday that falls between June 26th and July 2nd, is how that's defined in year C. Our series theme for these weeks is God's Words Possess God's Power. We're thinking about the power inherent in God's words, how he backs that power up with absolute knowledge, absolute wisdom, uh, absolute faithfulness, absolute love. And we are thinking about how God's words are right here among us, too, and seeing examples of that throughout the scripture readings for these weeks. Today, we are thinking about proper eight, as I mentioned, and we'll get into the unique uh, readings that we've got before us in just a minute. My name is John Mitchell. I'm from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Um, with me for this God's Words Possess God's Power series, Pastor John Bordelin from St. John's Lutheran in McQuanago, Wisconsin, Pastor John Bauer of Good News Lutheran in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, and back with us today, as with last time, Professor Alan Sorum of Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. So, uh, John Bauer, let's begin with you and uh can you help get us thinking about this week's theme um, under the heading of our series theme, God's Words Possess God's Power? Yeah, so today's theme or this week's theme through the word Christ creates committed followers. I think the thing to note is that since, since last week we've sort of uh, passed by, even if, uh, you know, unknowingly, a pretty major transition, uh, not only in the emphasis of, of these Sundays, but in the Gospels themselves. So early part of Jesus' ministry, we see his word at work in sort of the, the external things that would attack us or make life in this world uh, a difficult thing. So Christ, uh, the power of Christ's word over evil, when we talked about last week, the power of Christ's word over forces of nature, over death itself, how Christ's word possesses this, uh, this incredible power over all that stuff that's out there. Since then, or in between uh, what we're looking at today and what we looked at last time, we had Jesus' transfiguration take place, which most people recognize as a, a very significant and obvious pivot point in the gospel. Jesus starts talking about his death in Jerusalem a whole lot more and starts talking about the implications uh, that that has for, for anyone who would follow Jesus. And so today the emphasis is on what does the, the word of Christ have the power to do, not against stuff that's out there, but in, in the heart of each believer. And the emphasis really is on the fact that it, it has power or that, that certainly God's desire is that it does not just a small thing in terms of a person's attitude toward Jesus, not just that we, you know, kind of think pretty positively about him or that we think he's a nice guy or that maybe, you know, this whole Christianity thing deserves some sort of place in our life. But Jesus wants committed followers. He wants people who follow him with wholehearted devotion. And so the emphasis on the fact that Christ's word has the power to do that powerful thing in, inside of my own heart. Yeah, thanks for that summary. Uh, yeah, so the words of God acting with power right within us, uh, within the hearts of Christ's disciples as he brings that word to them, to us. John Bordelin, could you um, summarize for us the scripture readings appointed for today and can you show us how they fit together? Yeah, and again, for a unifying theme, um, keying off of what John Bauer just said, it, I find it again in the prayer of the day, um, pour into our hearts such love for you 
that loving you above all things, we may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. You know, what God has in store uh, for us, his preacher, and for for our hearers um, through that word, and maybe a unifying theme um, between the lessons, as I think about the first lesson, 1 Kings 19, um, Elijah um, passing the mantle on to Elisha. Um, it sure didn't always seem that way in their ministry. Um, and uh, apart from that whisper um, of God's word to Elijah, how easy it would be for him to lose heart in his ministry. For St. Paul, um, how many things he could have boasted in or been tempted to go um, the way of the world. And yet um, through his cross, cross is um, learning to boast um, in, in the word of Christ and, and in that um, alone. And so as Jesus resolutely um, sets his way to Jerusalem, that the word is which touches our hearts again and reminds us that that Jesus is all in for us and for our salvation and how that word um, continually draws me back into that reality. And oh, by the way, the what he has in store for us actually exceeds all that we can desire. So in our commitment and following Christ, we think this might be where at least, and actually what he has in store for us is, is beyond what we can desire. And so i um, thankful for the Spirit's work and increasing that commitment um, mm -hmm. in us and through us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for using that prayer of the day. It encapsulates so many of those thoughts or touches on so many of the thoughts we find here in the readings. Um, Ellen, um, could you get us thinking more about the sermon text for this week, uh, that sermon text chosen for our podcast series, Luke 9, 51 to 62. Uh, can I turn things over to you to get the wheels turning in our minds a little bit? Thank you, John. I would like to begin with the backstory of this incredible text where we have, <clears throat> again, just a, a quick reminder that Jerusalem is where the climax of Luke Acts occurs. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke wants to get Jesus to Jerusalem where he can suffer and endure hell for the universe and rise from the dead and ascend. And then in Acts, he sends people out from uh, Jerusalem to declare the praises of him who've, who's rescued the planet. A uh, very interesting thing happens in this in this chapel I, in this in this text rather. Uh, it's I'm going to call it a a subclimax or a secondary climax. Um, I have no authority to use that language, but let me make a case for it. <clears throat> so up to this point, the disciples are you know asking who's this Jesus. In spite of what they've seen and heard, they they don't get it. They they have a hard time coming to know who this Jesus is. But then Jesus says, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Uh, finally, Peter, speaking on behalf of the disciples, says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, okay, now I can start teaching you about what I must suffer, namely my death, allowing myself to be handed over to evil men to be killed. And I also have to now tell you about what you must suffer. You must take up your cross. You must deny yourself. That's what following me means, is taking up your cross. So um, amazingly, as Jonathan pointed out, amazingly, right after Jesus teaches them 
well, now that you can call on my name, though imperfectly, uh, I'm going to show you my glory. Now, uh, the, the association between taking up the cross and seeing the full, well, not the full glory of Jesus, but uh, an increased appreciation of who Jesus is, is has got to be an incredible event for uh, the, the three lucky disciples that, that got to see it. But now what follows is the disciples struggling with what is the full glory of Jesus and their part in proclaiming the full glory of Jesus. What they don't quite get is what it means to make yourself nothing, to deny yourself, to take up your cross. It, it kind of seems like what the disciples want to do is pick up some of that glory or to enjoy some of that uh, uh, reflected off of Jesus glory. So um, you, you have then in this, this text, a couple of things. This text reminds me of Joshua meeting the commander of the Lord's army in Joshua chapter five. Uh, Joshua sees the, the pre-incarnate Christ come walking down the road. And he says, are you on my side or the enemy's side? And uh, the pre-incarnate Christ says, uh, I'm on my side, dude. And I, that's what I see here in, in this text. You know, the, the, what you have, it's, it's only and always about Jesus. And it's not your reflected glory that you might get from Jesus. It's, it's not you being offended for Jesus. It's not you taking up the mantle of God and punishing people who aren't excited about receiving the message of Jesus. You know, you don't get it, disciples. You don't get the glory. You get the cross. Don't usurp the glory of God. Take up the mantle of being a, a servant. And, and that's where the sayings come in at the end, the, the difficult sayings that come in at the end. Jesus is, is capturing, as Jonathan started off when he was talking about the text, that's where Jesus captures what it means to, to cost Jesus, to, to follow Jesus. You can say salvation is free, but, the, but following Jesus, discipleship behind Jesus, that will cost you everything. So Jesus called a man to follow him and, and he gave an excuse and Jesus said, let me bury, let the bed, let, let the dead bury the dead. Um, that, the, that, that's kind of a metaphor for Jesus saying what occupies your heart and your head and your mind and your attention is proclaiming the gospel of life, um, not other loyalties and other relationships or other even important responsibilities. Or uh, uh, the, the other excuses that people give for following Jesus, you know, they, they want their comfort, they want their cake and their eat it, eat, eat, and to be able to eat it too. Uh, and and Jesus, Jesus is saying, here's what it means to take up your, my cross, your cross. Here's what it means to deny yourself. I'm calling for a full devotion, unconditional loyalty, and an undivided heart. That's radical. And the, the interesting thing is presenting that to your people in an, a no-holds-barred, unconditional demand, this Savior who gave up everything to rescue you and gives you eternal salvation for free is now calling for your whole heart, your whole mind, 
your, your, your whole love and everything that you have in participating with him in establishing the kingdom of God. Yeah, great. Thanks for yeah putting it that way. It's, um, I mean, it's first commandment stuff, isn't it? Um, at the heart of it, fearing, loving, and trusting above all things. And this call uh, coming now through Jesus in the context of cross and discipleship and um, this call to service. And then, of course, his determination to serve and to save um, shines through it all to his ultimate uh, commitment that, that he will not be uh, thwarted from his mission to seek and to save. Um, it, let's, let's talk about yeah, proclaiming law and gospel from this text. I think Alan has gotten us going with that already. Um, how, how do you uh, put that as you um, shape a sermon on this text? Thoughts on that? Um, just the, the law and gospel themes. Alan has gotten us started already on that. John Bordelin. Yeah, just uh, thank you for that. Um, I guess maybe the law and gospel themes, uh, you hit on the first uh, commandment there, John Mitchell, and, and then just as a preacher to ask that question um, of, of myself, you know, the honest self-reflection um, what, what cheap excuses, uh, come up in my own ministry for, for not doing this or for doing that as we all plan out our, our given days, um, and our weeks. Um, I hear those three questions, um, asked, uh, or the, the cost of following Jesus as he, as he lays that out. And, 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 uh, what, what, what would the question be that Jesus asked of me? And then to, then to translate that um, also in speaking to to our hearers, um, you know the the idols that get in the way um, of that total commitment um, to Jesus and and I don't know Alan if you use a term no holds barred but I mean just um, not to soft pedal the law here what what Jesus is after um, is is our heart and um, and where we have fallen short uh, to con to confess that recognizing uh, the God we confess it to. So, yeah. Yeah. Just letting that no holds barred message from Christ come through to us, first of all, as preachers, and then also communicating that to our hearers too. Um, yeah. I like your uh, suggestion, John, of kind of uh, getting us, getting our listeners to ask themselves some tough questions based on the words of Jesus here. Um, what kind of follower am I? Um, what, is, what types of things uh, do I maybe quite easily, maybe quite willingly, according to my sinful nature, get in the way of my following Jesus? Um, yeah, asking some probing questions and putting those before us. And uh, and yeah, and then facing up to the answers that we need to give in all honesty. Um, John uh, Bauer? Yeah, sort of related to that, as you look at the, I mean, I, when I preached on this in the past, I, I've uh, very intentionally, and, you know, in most cases, people aren't looking at their NIV, but, or, or looking at a, a, a hard copy Bible necessarily, but it almost makes it seem like the first interaction with the disciples and then these three subsequent ones with the, the anonymous fellows are, are kind of two separate things that have been just smashed together as part of this, uh, part of this lectionary reading. But uh, so to preach them as four 
more like four interactions instead of one and then three. Um, but it's interesting when you look at the three, the, the three difficult sayings, we might say, as much as each one of them is somewhat challenging and gives the preacher probably the opportunity to, to try and explain and help people navigate them a little bit. It's interesting to note how all three of them are, are situations that are very common to, to all of us, right? So the first guy says, I'll follow. And Jesus talks about, about having an earthly home. Well, we all have, we all have earthly homes that we have to be, uh, that we have to carefully evaluate how much love we place in them. Let me go and bury my father. How many people know someone who's died in their life, right? We've all gone through that. Uh, let me go say goodbye to my family who doesn't have a family. You know, these are very common experiences that I think lend to that idea of, you know, what specific question related to family, related to uh, earthly relationships, related to home and, and creaturely comforts would Jesus want to pin you to the wall with today and uh, really get yourself to evaluate uh, what's in your heart. Yeah, and I think, um, Ellen, I appreciated your uh, setting this up or giving kind of the backstory of this text, too, pointing out the surrounding context, how the disciples of Jesus are really struggling with this, um, uh, hey, this could be a glorious thing to follow Jesus, and Jesus continually redirecting them to say, no, that the glory is not yet. Right now, it's the cross. Right now, it is humble service. Um, you know, uh, being like a little child and, and serving the little children, um, which does not bring a lot of instantaneous rewards. Um, you know, it's not uh, coming out guns blazing toward everybody who is not on our team, um, uh, the Samaritan village. Um, right. But, but service is about um, kind of asking ourselves these hard questions and, and taking up the cross and following. Um, so I appreciate yeah, that setting that up in the context here. So uh, how do you bring across the, the gospel themes in this text? Well, just if I could start real quick by yeah, yeah, go ahead, Alan. jumping onto what you just said. Um, uh, I think in Mark's gospel, the disciples uh, basically asked Jesus, uh, you, you asked for so much, where do we go? Well, how, you know, like what's in it for us? I'm paraphrasing, forgive me. And, and Jesus said, but whatever you give up for the kingdom will be added to you in great measure with persecution. So um, there, there's an interesting, the, the gospel and sanctification, I, I think a way to go with the gospel and the sanctification is that in losing yourself, you discover yourself. In making yourself nothing, you become something. In giving up everything for God, you get the universe. Fear not, little flock. The kingdom is yours. It's this crazy kingdom algebra that just makes no mathematical sense that, um, that he who gave himself up for us, um, how will he along how will he not give us every good thing along with him? He who died for us, how will he not give? As he said, I've, I've come to give my disciples a rich and glorious life. But we need to align our thinking with Jesus thinking that that satisfaction, that joy, that glory is in serving and making ourselves nothing. And we can do that because on the last day, 
we're going to get our crown and we're going to get our glory and we'll have glory for a universal forever while for a short period of time we get to uh, show solidarity with Christ's personality and commitments and selflessly serve. That's, that's our identity. That's our joyful satisfaction. Great. Yeah. Uh, John Bauer. Yeah. I, I think what Alan just said ties in beautifully with what John mentioned before about the, the prayer of the day um, that by loving God above all things with the goal of not, not to earn, but with the goal of obtaining the things that he has promised to us, which exceed our desires. So the, the things that we would set our hearts on in this life end up being puny compared to what God promises us in Christ. And I think an interesting way that that comes out in the text, if you, you know, I, th I think we gravitate toward that first verse is really the key gospel umbrella that kind of hangs over everything that you probably address right at the beginning of the sermon because it comes first and probably also find a way to come back to it at the sermon or at the, uh, come back to it at the end of the sermon um, after all of that, that difficult and penetrating law preaching. But in the, in that first verse, uh, what's translated in the NIV, at least as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up into heaven, the verb there as, as the time was filling up or being fulfilled for Jesus to be taken up into heaven. So if we set our hearts on glory that can be delivered to us in this life, then when bad things happen, either um, just by circumstance, they, they sort of happen to us, or if we would willingly uh, sort of choose those difficult paths as followers of Christ, the mentality so easily can be, my time is running out. You know, I've got my heart set on this, that, or the other thing in this life, and my time to achieve it is running out. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But to have the attitude uh, of, of what that verse suggests, that no, actually our time is, is filling up toward this wonderful, glorious destination that was in store, not just for Jesus after he went to Jerusalem, but also for all who follow him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like how you, uh, you're, you're making me think of, um, yeah, just our tendency uh, to just yeah get get the algebra the calculus all wrong here what are what are we getting out of this now what do we have to look forward to when jesus kind of flips everything on its head uh, and and says yeah think think differently um and yeah the the key to everything is this great commitment to us that jesus shows as the time fills up for him to reach the culmination of his work uh and he sets his face to do it for us uh, John Bordelin? Yeah, um, the the overarching theme of the day that through the word Christ creates um, committed followers, I think back to um, the, the church rite of confirmation and whether that be the youth or the adult confirmants who we, we, we ask to make a, a pretty astounding promise. Um, you know, are you willing um, to forsake all things, suffer all things, Yes, even death itself. Um, I I do, and I ask God to help me. Okay, then with this text in front of us, so so where does such help come from? Um, and what the brothers have already thrown out there—that such divine assistance, such a such a new way of me thinking about my discipleship—that the Lord Jesus, who is the one who beckons each of us and our hearers um, to follow after Him is the one who works in us um, 
the the willingness to do so and the ability to see uh, where this all ends as he makes his way um, to Jerusalem, the victory um, that is ours. So, Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, how about uh, ways to preach this text, or, or perhaps you have uh, preached a sermon on this text already, um, and um, thinking about uh, theme, basic outline, or basic structure of a sermon, um, how would you approach it, or how have you approached it? ideas you can help out uh give suggestions might help guys uh john bauer i i didn't uh i hadn't thought of this when i preached on it before but uh just that word that almost sort of randomly came out of my mouth before that i'm liking more and more is to view verse 51 as a as an umbrella a gospel umbrella that kind of hangs over everything and in a lot of ways in the in the greater context of luke um sort of hangs over everything that that comes between that verse and Palm Sunday when Jesus finally does arrive in Jerusalem. And the, the reason I like that picture is, you know, you picture an umbrella that's over stuff. It's on, it's on both sides. So, you know, we have a tendency, we want to preach the text in the order that it comes. But if a single verse is a, a, a heading or an umbrella for the rest of this text to, to mention it at the outset, and then, then come back to it at the end as well. Um, to, to not hesitate to go back to verse 51 at the end and say, whatever commitment and uh, resolve Jesus expects to see out of you, there's one place where you're going to find that, and that's in the resolve he showed uh, for you, not, not the one he demanded from you, but what he showed for you by being willing to go to Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree that that uh, verse 51 is just a, a key gospel verse, uh, Jesus uh, resolutely going forward that's the key to our discipleship too ultimately the commitment he shows to us because that's what creates commitment within us toward him and toward his mission uh or renews that commitment uh john bordelin just right in connection with that uh, a past theme on this is the one who calls you to follow him is the one who sets his face on jerusalem you know and you'll obviously have the chance to unpack that you know throughout the throughout the sermon. So just as a preaching note. Mm -hmm. um, I've got uh, one suggestion. Um, it kind of goes back to, we said, uh, as you approach the, the malady of this text, uh, getting listeners to ask uh, probing questions of themselves. So a possible theme I've, I've worked with is daily questions for disciples of Jesus. And then the two questions, what kind of follower am I? And kind of getting into the, the law section, am I sometimes passionate but misguided, like uh, the disciples who wanted to, you know, get rid of these Samaritan villages? Um, am I a follower, who, a follower who sometimes overlooks the hardships of discipleship? Am I one who sometimes attaches conditions to my following? You know, I will follow you if Jesus. Um, but then coming back with the next daily question for disciples of Jesus, uh, part two, what kind of savior is Jesus? One who shows perfect commitment, which saves me. One who shows compassion for those who need to be saved from their sins. One who calls people to follow him because he is the source of life and wants to continually give that life to all those who follow him. So there's a, another idea, kind of asking those questions and then leading uh, to answers on the basis of the text. Uh, Alan? The thought? Yeah, I, I don't 
have a nuanced finished product. But again, this text makes me think of a very common theme in the Old Testament that as, as David said to Goliath, the battle belongs to the, to the Lord. That, that just comes up again and again and again, this concept um, with Jehoshaphat uh, and his priest, one of my favorite Old Testament passages, uh, this, this is God's battle, take up your position. Uh, I th those two thoughts in juxtaposition, I think, are really, really interesting. And I don't want to impose those words on this text, but I think the idea is clear. This is the program of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's about what he has done. It's about what he is going to do through us. So uh, in textually... And, and to capture the flavor of this text, to find a way to say that, uh, that, that Jesus was resolute in his uh, determination to accomplish our free salvation, now let us resolutely pay the price of following him. Just, just something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it, the text seems to can hinge on those two main themes, right? The commitment of Christ for us, the commitment he creates within us. Uh, John Bauer? Yeah, I was, was going to say, I think the, the way that that first verse and, and Alan's thoughts related to it serve so beautifully as an umbrella, you, you've got the two parts for it. I mean, Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem, and we know what's in Jerusalem, but that statement is introduced by the statement of the, the time is coming for him to be taken up into heaven. So we know what the ultimate destination is. And so then as you think about your commitment as a believer, how, do, how does that gospel statement help me with my commitment? It's not just, well, look at how committed Jesus was for you. Can't you be even just a little bit committed for him too? I mean, obviously you can, you can do that in a way that's not using the gospel as a club. You can do that in a, in a perfectly fine way. But the other important element of it is that Jesus' commitment means that your commitment will never be for nothing. It will never be in vain. The, the outcome is guaranteed, in other words. I mean, you think about the number of things in our life that we are willing to commit ourselves to, the things we're willing to pay the price of, of money and effort and sweat and time and energy without knowing how it's going to turn out in the end. You know, is all of this effort that I'm putting in, all these extra hours at work, going to lead to me becoming a partner at the firm? I don't know that for sure. How much more would I, would I find it easy or, or at the very least uh, worthwhile and, a, and sort of a no-brainer to be committed to something if I knew for sure it would pay off in the end? It would lead to the blessed result that I desire. And verse 51 tells us that that's the case. Jesus' commitment guarantees that ours will never be in vain. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, I like that just beautiful gospel uh, motivating just because right it's already given to us right the ending is already set there for us provided by jesus um, other thoughts on uh how you'd go about proclaiming this text or other insights you'd want to include maybe john borderland yeah just in a conversation with someone interested in learning more about the faith and becoming a member of a lutheran congregation sometimes the question will come up you know um, you know, how many classes do I have to go? What does it entail? What's the next step? And um, whether or not this illustration is helpful, like 
Um, yeah, I think of someone coming and asking about, uh, you know, uh, spending the rest of uh, their life with one of my daughters, you know, and, you know, like, eh, what's the bare minimum I'm going to need for this? You know, <laughs> what do I have to, what do I have to put into this? And, and to think about in terms of this discipleship, this relationship uh, with, with, with the Christ, uh, our, our heavenly bridegroom. And, you know, we know the blessings that are in store uh, for, for a lifelong marriage. We know, we know the blessings because of what Jesus has said about this relationship with him. And, um, and there's a little bit of trust factor there, right back to the first commandment issue. He actually knows what's, uh, what's, uh, what's good for us or, or maybe a clearer, uh, simpler way to say that, um, the one who is calling us to follow after him, um, he knows how this path goes. I don't. And so um, to confess the times that I thought I knew how the path should go and have taken issue with him about how the path is going and the crosses we must bear. But but in, in Jesus, it seems, doesn't, you know, uh, as as he beckons me to follow him, it's, uh, yep, I know where this is going. You come along, you come along with me and this will be so good. Um, and, 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 and joy, could we, could we allow our hearers to see, yeah, even the joy in the midst of that suffering along the way, knowing how he's going to work that out for us. I think there's a lot of comfort for those who, who worry and fear and front myself included of, of how this path goes. Right. Right. Yeah bring them Jesus reassurance that, uh, yeah, this is worth it. This is worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, other closing thoughts before we wrap up today or any other insights you wanted to share, guys? All right. Well, let's wrap up then. Uh, through the word, Christ creates committed followers. This uh, beautiful gospel uh, section for proper eight. God be with you as you work on your sermon on this text. And God bless the word, the powerful word that you will be sharing with all your listeners.